Good morning. Welcome to worship from First United Reformed Church of Chino. This morning's service will be led by Reverend Brad Niemeyer. He will be speaking to us from Romans 3, verses 9 through 26, being right with God. Again, welcome to worship from First United Reformed Church of Chino. Welcome to all of you this morning. What a joy we have on this Lord's Day, this first day of the new week, that our God welcomes us to enter his very presence, to worship and to praise him. For those of you who are visiting with us, we are glad to have you here this morning. We pray you'll find the Spirit of God present here as well. There is an order of worship in your bulletin to hopefully help make your worship more meaningful today. And of course, you're invited back this evening as we worship God at 6 o'clock tonight. Entering God's presence, we hear these words from Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. We join with all believers in bringing praise to our God this morning. Would you stand for God's greeting? People of God, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bring our praises to God this morning by turning in the Trinity Psalter hymnal to number 99B. Number 99B, the Lord God reigns in majesty, let all the nations quake. He dwells between the cherubim, let earth's foundations shake. Supreme in Zion is the Lord, exalted gloriously. All nations praise his name with awe. The Holy One is he. We're going to sing all three verses, number 99b. Number 99b. 
We have gathered this morning to worship that holy God, a God who is holy, a God who is righteous, a God who is just, a God whose eyes are too pure to look upon sin. How is it we can come into the presence of our God this morning, this holy God? We come in confession. We come acknowledging honestly who we are before him. We come recognizing our sin and turning away from ourselves and to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of that sin. Our call to confession this morning is from 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
The problem is we are so capable of self-deception. We are so capable of saying our sin isn't really that bad, not as bad as this. And yet when we are honest with ourselves and honest before God, we recognize that all sin is an offense to God. So he calls us this morning to humble our hearts before him and to look to him for grace and for mercy. Let's turn once again to our Trinity Psalter hymnal, this time 396. 396, gracious spirit, dove divine, let thy light within me shine. All my guilty fears remove, fill me full of heaven and love. We're going to sing verses 1 through 4, the four verses, number 396, we'll remain seated as we sing. The apostle says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
an advocate, one who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous, the Son of God, pleading for you, pleading before his Father's holy throne. What a wonderful assurance. That as we turn away from ourselves, as we embrace Jesus Christ alone, he is there pleading on our behalf. If that is your confession this morning, you can be sure. God, through Jesus Christ, has washed you, has cleansed you, has called you to be his very own. That's your assurance of pardon as you enter the presence of God today. With that wonderful gift of salvation, we now want to respond in a way that is pleasing to God, that thanks him for what he has done for us. And so we read the word of God in the law. For there God teaches us our response of gratitude. This morning, God's law comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant, or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, and you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is God's holy will for our lives. Before we join together for prayer this morning, I have a number of uh, prayer updates to give to you. Um, this past week, uh, Kim Schaubauer was scheduled for a surgery. After further consultation, uh, they're going to hold off on the surgery and do a course of uh, chemo first. So we pray that that would be effective for her. Uh, that is a change of plans, but in God's good providence, we trust he will use that uh, to her benefit. Uh, Narangami must remain in our prayers. Uh, he is now in San Antonio Hospital uh, for testing, 
to find out what is causing the issues with his brain, with his memory. Uh, please pray for him and pray for Raksha, uh, that God would be gracious to them at this time, that they'd find out uh, what is going on uh, with Naran. Uh, Jerry Sturk has been going through a difficult time lately. He is seeking out help from doctors for that, so we commend uh, Jerry to God's care and keeping. Uh, John Van Leeuwen, I visited with him uh, this past week, um, still needs our prayers. Uh, he was not very responsive uh, to my presence um, in a difficult place, so please keep John and Edie in your prayers. This morning, we also have the sad duty of making a membership exclusion announcement. Out of a pastoral concern for those who will be mentioned, I'm going to ask the sound man uh, if he will mute the live stream during that announcement. So if you're watching this via live stream, uh, you will not hear that announcement. The, uh, it will be unmuted for the pastoral prayer to follow. But again, out of pastoral concern, we're going to mute the announcement for the live stream. I'd like to ask the vice chair of consistory if he'd come up now and make that announcement. Heavenly Father, we are humbled before you. We come before you with fear and trembling, conscious of our own imperfection, yet conscious also of the responsibility you have given your church to discipline its members, grieving 
deeply. We plead that this action may build up your people and cause none to stumble. O righteous God and merciful Father, before your great majesty, we confess that we are sinners and acknowledge that we have justly deserved the sorrow and pain caused by the exclusions we have witnessed today. Indeed, if you were to judge us, we would all deserve to be excluded and banished from your presence on account of our great and many transgressions. O Lord, be gracious to us for Christ's sake. Forgive us our trespasses, for we wholeheartedly repent of them. And work in our hearts a continual increasing measure of sorrow for them, that we, fearing your judgments and desiring to serve and love you, may endeavor to please you. Grant that we might avoid all the pollution of the world and of those who are excluded from the communion of the church, in order that we might not make ourselves partakers in their sins, and that they who are excluded may become ashamed of their sins. Since you, O God, do not desire the death of the sinner, but that they may repent and live, and since your church is always open for those who return, we ask you to kindle in the hearts a godly zeal so that we, with good Christian admonitions and example, may seek to bring these back excluded persons, together with all those who through unbelief and recklessness of life go astray. Add your blessing to our admonitions, that we thereby may have reason to rejoice again in them for whom we now mourn. Today, with this announcement, we grieve also for their families. We implore you, Lord, for your grace on their behalf. Even though we were left to proceed to this extreme remedy, we trust and believe that you can use this very action as the means to call them back to faith. We pray that you would awaken in our hearts and souls a hunger and thirst for you, the living God, that we as your people may make even more earnest pleas before the throne of grace for those who are now an object of evangelism. Have mercy on them, O God, and have mercy on us. But it is with heavy hearts that we come before you this morning, hearing the announcement of the consistory. And yet we praise you, for while you are a just and a righteous God, you are also a merciful and a compassionate God truly loving and caring, a God who is concerned about your people. We praise you for your justice and for your wisdom. We praise you for the perfection of all of your judgments. Your decisions and your actions, O oh God, are never in error. We do praise you for your holiness and we praise you for your righteousness. You are a God who is perfect in all that you do, in all that you are. Lord God, we are just so mindful this morning of our own fallenness, of our own imperfection. Yet we pray that by your Spirit, you would encourage us and strengthen us. And that we see ourselves not in our sin, 
but that we see ourselves in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one whom you have sent to make perfect satisfaction for sin, the one who even now is our advocate, who pleads at your right hand. Lord God, may we see ourselves by the power of your Spirit in Christ, knowing that we belong to you, body and soul, in life and in death. And Lord God, as those who have been called to be your children, called into your family, we do come to you as our Father and ask for your care over those who need that care in a particular way. We pray for Kim as uh, the plans have been changed. We pray that you would use the chemo uh, for its effect, that this might be profitable for her full recovery to health. We pray for Naran as he is in San Antonio. We pray for the doctors, that they would be able to find out what is causing the issues um, with his memory, the issues with his mind. We pray that you would give Raksha your care and your comfort as she desires to uh, care for her husband. It's a difficult thing at this time. We want to pray for Jerry and the difficulties he's going through. We ask, oh God, that you'd be near unto him. We thank you for his desire to seek out help. And we pray that that help might be profitable uh, for him also. We pray for our brother John Van Leeuwen. And we ask that you would give him strength day by day. Uh, we pray for Edie as she is there with him. Lord God, comfort them, assure them, be near unto them. May they know that you are their God who is always close at hand. We thank you, O God, we can bring these things to you as a corporate body. We can bring these things to you in our own personal prayers. Thank you for giving us this time this morning to gather around your holy word. We pray, O God, for the ministry of your word today. As your word goes forth from this pulpit, as it goes forth from pulpits around the globe, we pray, O God, that you would use the ministry of the word by the power of your spirit to bring many into fellowship with you. May the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ be heard clearly. And may you, by your Spirit, open our hearts uh, to receive that word, to embrace Jesus Christ, and to know the assurance of salvation, full salvation, through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord God, bless that ministry in our midst and wherever your word is preached. May you use that for its intended purposes. Thank you, O God, that as a part of our worship, we can also express our love, our gratitude to you in the tithes and the offerings that we bring. We thank you, O God, for your ongoing care for our local congregation, and we thank you also for Inland Christian Home. We pray for our saints who are living there. We pray that you would be near and strengthen them. We thank you that through the Inland Care Fund, we can show our love for them. So we ask, Lord God, that you would accept the gifts that we will bring and we ask that you would hear us as we pray. For we offer our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Following our worship service this morning, as we exit, uh, there are baskets on either side and by the back door for our offerings this morning for the general budget and the Inland Care Fund. As we prepare to hear God's word, let's turn once again in our Trinity Psalter hymnal, this time number 517. Number 517, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he has made known, nor why, unworthy, Christ in love redeem me for his own. 
I know not how this saving faith to me he did impart, nor how believing in his word wrought peace within my heart, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 3, just verses 1, 2, and 3, number 517. Let's stand together as we sing. This morning, God's Word comes to us from Romans chapter 3, Romans 3, we are going to begin our reading at verse 9 and then read through verse 26 of this chapter. Romans 3, beginning at verse 9. What we hear now is God's word. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, 
Both Jews and Greeks are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn to the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals to page 881. This is the Heidelberg Catechism and Lord's Day 23. That goes on to page 882. This morning we're going to read the questions and answers of Lord's Day 23. So beginning at the bottom of page 881. Question 59. How does it help you now that you believe all this? The answer I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. Question 60, how are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and never having kept any of them, and of still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. If only I accept this gift 
with a believing heart. And then question 61, why do you say that through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith, for only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Well, last week we concluded our study of the truth of the faith found in the Apostles' Creed. We spent a number of months going through uh, line by line these fundamentals of the Christian faith, uh, the content of the faith. And now in the Heidelberg Catechism, we come up to the question perhaps that should have been dealt with before all of that time was spent. That question, how does this help you now? How does it help you to believe all of these truths? And our, our confession answers with these words, I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir to life everlasting. I am righteous before God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Being righteous before God. Being right with a holy God. And how it is possible we could make that claim that we are now righteous before God. I hope even as I say that, it's a little bit jarring to your ears. A God who is perfect, a God who is holy, a God who is completely without sin. How would we dare say, I am now righteous before Him? We just read from Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. The Bible says none, in right, none is righteous. How can we say with the confession, I am now righteous, standing before God? And of course we recognize it is not because of anything in us. It is not about who we are. It is about our relationship to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Question and answer 59, 60, and 61 beautifully expound the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This, this which is at the heart of the gospel. This truth which was at the heart of the Reformation. How is a man right before God? That that fundamental Reformation confession, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is still being challenged today. There are still challenges to how it is we can declare that we are righteous before a holy God. Romans 3. In Romans 3, Paul so beautifully and with such simple clarity lays out the truth of the doctrine of justification. It has been my prayer this past week as I have been working with this passage that I not get in the way of this beautiful clarity. That I not obscure it somehow, but simply let the truth of Scripture come through, that truth reflected in our confession that we are righteous before God because of the gracious work of Jesus Christ which we receive 
by faith alone. Paul begins by saying, uh, before talking about that we are righteous, he begins by acknowledging our own sin. And any, any theology that seeks to understand the relationship of man to God must begin there. A true acknowledgement of who we are in ourselves. And Paul, in verse 10 and following, gives us this, this, this litany of despair where we would be without the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I find it interesting, as Paul desires here to demonstrate the fallenness of man, he could have, he could have given examples in the Roman church. He could have given examples of things going on in the world. Where does Paul look to, to affirm the fallenness of man? He quotes the very word of God. When we argue by example, uh, someone always finds a counterexample. But Paul here argues from God's word itself. These quotations from the Old Testament. Verse 10, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. That's the Word of God's declaration about where we are in ourselves. No exceptions, no exceptions, no one righteous, not even one, no one understands, no one seeks for God's, no exceptions to that rule, it is the rule. This is where we find ourselves, left to our own works, our own ability before God. He says, verse 13, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. He says the way we talk, the way we, we talk reflects the fallenness of our heart. Our speech, what we say, from, from the heart proceeds through the lips what our, what our hearts are hiding down inside. The things that we say are fallen, unrighteous before God. Not only the things that we say, the things that we do, he goes on. Not only are their mouths full of curses and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. Our lives reflect the darkness of our hearts. We can try to hide it, we can try to cover it up, but we know in ourselves that left to ourselves, we would live in a way that is continually offensive before a holy God. Paul acknowledges that that we are fallen, we are sinful. He concludes with verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Not only our words, not only our actions, even our thoughts, our emotions, fallen before a holy God. That, that truth is reflected in question and answer 60 in the Catechism. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments, 
and never having kept any of them, and of still, of still being inclined toward all evil. That's the state we find ourselves in. Grievously sinning against all God's commands. God says, don't do something, but I do it. I choose to go my own way. I choose to think that I know better. God says to honor his name, but with my lips I will dishonor his name. God says that we should not kill, but in my heart I have anger toward others and I murder them. God says do not commit adultery, but lust dwells within. God says do not steal, but I want what others have for my own. God says do not lie, and yet so often my speech is shaded with the truth. God says don't, and yet I do even though I have grievously sinned against all the commandments and have never kept any of them, falling short of what God has called us to do. God says, do it, and yet I don't. God says, honor your father and mother and all those in authority over you, and yet so often I refuse to do what God asks. God says, keep my day holy, but I say, I'll live how I want on this weekend day. God says, have no other gods before me, and yet my mind is a factory of idols, of other things I would give my allegiance to. I have grievously sinned against all the commandments, never having kept any of them, and am still inclined toward all evil. That's the inclination of a fallen heart. Not an, an, an inclination looking for God, seeking for Him, but the inclination to find out how much evil I can commit. A desire to do things against the holy Word of God. And so Paul says in verse 19, <clears throat> Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That law which was intended to give life and health and peace, that law now condemns me. It shows my sin, and it, 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 must, it must humble me before a holy and righteous God. Being righteous before God? How dare we say, I am righteous before God? No one is righteous, not even one. And, and if Romans chapter 3 ended at verse 20, we would have no hope. We would have no, no recourse to say, what's, what's the way out of this problem? But Romans 3 doesn't end at verse 20 after this litany of despair. Paul goes on and speaks these glorious words. But now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It is not through the works of the law, my voice, my hands, my actions, nothing I can do, not through works of the law I will be righteous before God. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ. And this, too, reflected in our confession, Lord's Day. Question answer 60. Even though my conscience accuses me, 
of having grievously sinned against all God's commandments and never having kept any of them and still being inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without any merit of my own, out of sheer grace, God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Nevertheless, without any merit on my part, God grants me the righteousness of Christ. Reflecting the truth that Paul gives to us. Verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is in Jesus that we find our righteousness. Not that I stand before God on my own two feet and saying, I am righteous before you. It is in Jesus we find that righteousness. And again, don't miss that in question 59. The question, what does it do to believe all this? I am righteous in Christ before God. I am righteous in Christ before God not because of anything in me, but because of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And, and Paul says here, Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now kids, propitiation is a really big word. I don't imagine that you say that word very often. I don't imagine you hear that word very often. We heard it earlier this morning from 1 John chapter 2. In the confession of sin and assurance of pardon, he is our propitiation. What does propitiation mean? A propitiation by his blood. Well, it is a big word. But really, you can think of it, kids. A propitiation is just a covering. It's a covering. You can almost think of it like a blanket. A blanket that covers something. And Jesus Christ here is described as our propitiation. Now, what was it that his blood covered? Our first um, thought might be, uh, the blood of Jesus covers my sin. And that is true. Jesus' blood does cover our sin. But that's not the word Paul uses here for the covering over of our sin. He uses the word propitiation. The covering, what is being covered, is the very wrath of God. Not only are our sins removed by the blood of Christ, but God is no longer angry. His wrath is covered over by the propitiation of Jesus Christ, by His bloodshed. God is not angry with us. Our sins are gone, and his anger has been covered. His anger, not focused on us, but his anger was poured out on the propitiation on Jesus Christ. When Christ was on the cross, he was suffering the wrath of God for the sins of all his people. That wrath poured out on the propitiation Jesus Christ. God put him forward as a propitiation by his blood. 
God is no longer angry with you when he sees you in Jesus Christ. Not only is your sin removed, but the wrath of God has been covered over. Our confession says, God grants me the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Jesus Christ. Satisfaction for all those sins we have committed, for all those things we have done. Justice is satisfied by the offering of Jesus Christ. His righteousness for all those things we have left undone, all those lacks in our life. God now sees us as righteous because of Christ's righteousness. His holiness, that inclination toward all evil, God now sees us as if we were holy. I love how the confession puts this. It says, As if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. That's how God sees us. As if I had never sinned or been a sinner, and as if I had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was. You know, kids, Christ was perfectly obedient. Christ never sinned. He did everything perfectly the way his Father in heaven wanted him to. And God now sees us that way. As if we had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for us. What a wonderful truth. We can, because of the work of Jesus Christ, say that we are now right with God. We are righteous before him. But the question still remains, how do I get that? How do I get that status? And so we look, first of all, we'll look at the question answer 60, the first line, the last line. The first line, how are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. The last line, if I accept this gift with a believing heart, it is through faith that this becomes ours. Through faith reflecting the truth that Paul gives us, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This gift that comes as a gift of grace received by faith. By faith we embrace the truth of what God has done in Christ. And then, lest we be confused, the catechism includes question and answer 61. Because there's some who will say, yes, we have to appropriate this by faith. Faith is the one good work you need to do to be saved. That's the one thing you have to do. If you choose to believe, then God will forgive you. He'll remove his anger. All these things, it's the one good work you have to do. Faith is not the first good work. It is not because of the value our faith has that God is gracious toward us. 61. Why do you say, through faith alone you are righteous? Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. Our faith, while necessary for salvation, is not the ground of our salvation. We don't place our faith... In faith. Faith is not the ground of our salvation. It is Christ who is the ground of our salvation. Not because I please God by the worthiness of my faith. For only Christ's satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness are my righteousness before God. And 
our confession says, I can receive this righteousness and make it mine in no other way than by faith alone. Faith is that receptor. Faith is that which receives the gift of God as, as simply that which appropriates the gift God has given to us. The ground of our salvation is the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. But faith is, as I described in my catechism class, faith is the instrument God uses to bring that glorious grace into our life. It receives the gift of God, this gift of salvation. And, and as we embrace Jesus Christ by faith, as we recognize it's not the worth of our faith, the value of our faith, but faith is that instrument. Christ is all the worth. As we appropriate Christ by faith, we can humbly say we are now righteous before God, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of the finished work of Christ which we receive through the instrument of faith. This glorious truth that, that we are now righteous before a holy God. Righteous because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, removing our sin, covering over God's wrath. Righteous because the Holy Spirit has given us the gift of faith to receive this glorious blessing. And righteous because this this most fundamental basic truth is again and again declared to us as the only way we can be righteous before God. That's the declaration again this morning, the declaration of the gospel. Not what you have done, not the works of your hands. Don't put your faith in yourself. Don't put your faith in your faith. Turn away from yourself. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone in the fullness of what he has done and know the assurance that God now sees you as if you had never sinned, as if you had been as perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient on your behalf. Yes, we can humbly declare we are now righteous before God because of the finished work, the completed work, of Jesus Christ, which we embrace by a living faith. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are so thankful that our salvation does not depend on us. We can look into our hearts, we can see the darkness that is there, and we can know that left to ourselves, we would never seek God. All have turned aside, together have been worthless, become worthless. No one does good, not even one. No one seeks for God. This is the truth of your word. And yet, O oh God, you in your love and your mercy did not leave us in that lost and sinful condition, but you sent the perfect sacrifice the perfect propitiation for our sins. You sent Jesus Christ to come and do everything necessary. Oh, we thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for his atoning death. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have worked in our hearts 
that faith to embrace this glorious truth as our own. Lord God, if there are those here this morning who have not embraced this truth, who are still looking to themselves to be righteous before God, we pray that you might humble their hearts, you might bring them to confession of sin, and to embrace by faith the finished work of Jesus Christ. For it is there that we find our hope. It is there we find our salvation. Hear us, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to number 426 in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Number 426, how vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. Tis not for works that we have done. These all to him we owe, but he of his electing love salvation doth bestow. To thee, O Lord, alone is due all glory and renown. Ought to ourselves we dare not take or rob thee of thy crown. Thou wast thyself our surety in God's redemption plan. In thee his grace was given us long ere the world began. We're going to sing all three verses, 426. Let's stand together as we sing. Receive the parting blessing of our God. 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.